So before you all start judging me, <clears throat> I'd like to explain my mustache. I was in, a, I don't know if you've ever been in one, but it's a, it's a murder mystery. And everybody kind of dresses up, plays a different part, and you have to keep these cards, and you got to figure out who, who kills who. And, and uh, I went to this murder mystery, and I was, my, my, my brother was invited too, and, and the people thought it'd be fun to make him, he was Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. And if you read Sherlock Holmes, which is like 10,000 pages, the works of Sherlock Holmes is insanely large. But Watson's description is, is he has this great mustache, and so <clears throat> I think I have a great mustache too. <laughs> well, let's do a quick judge. Raise your hands if you like it. But don't worry, I'll, I'm not going to judge you. All right, cool. <laughs> Raise your hand if you don't like it. <laughs> well, I don't like any of you, so that's... <laughs> anyway, we'll see what happens with it. <clears throat> Secondly, uh, happy Mother's Day. To all the mothers here, it's this, uh, this day still kind of stings a little bit for me uh, because I know how special mothers are. And so kids, don't ever, ever, ever take your mothers for granted. They love you very much, very, very much. As I prayed over the readings, what came to me was when St. Paul preached, there were riots. When I preach... People occasionally laugh. When Paul preached, people freaked out. But in the modern day and age, it seems when we preach, people say, at best, you know, good homily, Father. We're not shaking anything up. I think a lot of the church just plays it safe right now, but Paul didn't do that. When Paul preached, people went nuts. Throughout his journey, he is met with opposition and violence. When he gets to Philippi, they throw him in jail. When he gets to Lystra, they drag him outside of the city and stone him to death. They think he's dead. He's laying on the ground, bleeding, surrounded by rocks. And the people are like, finally, Paul's going to shut up because he's dead. And they walk away. But Paul's not dead. Paul gets up. And what would you do if you were Paul? You just got rocks thrown in your face, left for dead. I'd probably leave that city. Paul doesn't. Paul goes back and begins to preach again. He'd be maddening. The guy just knew no limits. He gets to Athens, which is like the Mecca of philosophy. And while he's there, he speaks at the Areopagus, which was like the center. I mean, it was, the, it was like, I don't know, like the Grand old Opera. And pe- some people think he's crazy. Some people just laugh at him. He gets to Thessalonica, and the people say, Paul's trying to flip the world upside down with his preaching. He's crazy. And when he gets to Ephesus, he preaches against idolatry to 20,000 people. And after he's done preaching... They riot to the point where they try to tear him limb from limb. But when I preach, people sit in the pew and listen. And even though our numbers as a parish are going up, our collections stay relatively the same. Roughly the same people are volunteering for everything that we need. And there's still people that leave after communion. We're missing something, you guys. 
We're really missing something. You know, Paul didn't see much fruit to his labor. Everywhere he went, he got beat up or kicked out or imprisoned. But in the end, by stepping, just putting his foot onto the country of Greece, he changed the world forever. Because of his bold proclamation of the gospel message, he changed the world forever. Alfred Whitehead, he's an English philosopher, he once said, all of philosophy is a footnote to Plato. What does he mean? He means that Plato basically said everything, and all other philosophies kind of roll out of that, the good ones anyway. I would say the same thing with Paul, only in regards to theology. All of theology is a footnote to St. Paul. St. Paul said it all. And one freaking guy changed the course of Western civilization. And this leads us up to the first reading, right? Paul's now made his way all the way through Greece. Prisons, beatings, and imprisonment. And now he's gone through, down through Turkey and he's into Antioch. And he gets there and he went into the synagogue and he preaches Jesus is the Messiah. And the Jews, that's bad enough. The Jews are already mad about it. But then he goes on to say that not only is Jesus the Messiah, the anointed, the king of the Jewish nation. He is in fact the king of... Of the world. He is the king of the pagan nations as well. And this angered so many Jews that they actually expelled Paul from their territory. So, what was it that made Paul's preaching so explosive? What bothered people so much that they wanted him dead? Why was he harassed, imprisoned, stoned, beat up, and finally, I don't know if you know this, they chopped his head off? But before we answer that question, I think we have to answer the question as to why did people even listen to Paul in the first place? And I think it's because his conviction must have been overwhelming, you guys. Conviction comes from objective knowledge, right? You believe something so overwhelmingly to be true and your belief is so tangible that people are like, I want that. I have this saying I came up with. I don't know if I came up with it. It came out of my mouth and I had never read it before. So I'm attributing it to me. And it's this. Conviction converts. Conviction converts. What was it that gave Paul such conviction? I want to argue it's that he truly saw the risen Christ. It's the only thing that makes any sense for his life. First of all, he said it, right? He told us that he saw the risen Christ. He told us about his conversion. But then we have to look at this guy. He's ripping Christians out of their homes. He's presiding over executions. He's doing everything he can to destroy the Christian faith. He went from all of that to becoming Christianity's greatest advocate like that. That makes no sense. I want to give you an example of what it might be like in the modern day. It just came to me. I don't know if you'll find it funny. I found it funny. <clears throat> but it would be like if Nancy Pelosi actually began to practice her faith and left politics to go on mission to promote the dignity of human life and everything that the church teaches everything that she doesn't believe. That's how over the top this would have been for people. Paul was like the leading, he was on his way, you guys, to be the leading Pharisee in Jerusalem. We, he tells us he was taught under Gamaliel, which is like, that was like the rabbi of rabbis at the time. 
He is going to be a big gun in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, it all changed. The only thing that makes any sense to any of this, all of his behavior, the way he lived, is that he really met Jesus. I mean, you ever read his list of sufferings in Corinthians? He's scourged three times. He's beaten with rods five times. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked. He's hungry. He's left without lodging. He's naked, cold, thieves, bandits. And he says, and I did it all for the love of Christ. This man who has the golden boy of Jerusalem had his life set. He leaves it all. He probably, you guys, I was thinking about this, he probably even had to leave his family. And he gives his entire life over to Christ. The only logical explanation is that he met Jesus. And that's what gave him power. Let me ask you this. Do you think if someone really met Jesus that they would have power when they spoke? I do. And do you think people would listen to them? I do. But even Paul had trouble getting his people to actually act on what they heard. I've met him. You might think I'm crazy, but I'm not. I've met him. I know him. And I believe it's what gives me conviction and power when I talk. I don't know if you ever heard this talk, but Archbishop Sheen was talking to an entire group. It was a congregation of priests and bishops. And he said, there's, I'll never forget this line. He said to him, he said, brothers, I have more power than all of you. Imagine saying that to a group of priests and bishops. I have more power than all of you because I know Jesus. Because I pray. And here's the kicker, you guys. Sheen had power. When he spoke, people listened. And so did Paul. And I am convinced that it came from his encounter with Christ. But even though they listened, they often hated him. And people will hate you too if you speak. I promise you. And we should expect that. Jesus told us it was going to happen. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They will take some of you to prison. Some of you will go to courts. Some of you will divide your families. Some of you will die for your bold proclamation of the truth. Why? Because Paul, us, we should be calling people to more. You know what I find hilarious, everybody? I I had some people call me actually this week. I don't know if you heard, you know, the the leaked uh, decision of the Supreme Court. That there was an actual national call to action from the pro-choice community. That they were to come to churches and they were to protest in these churches. We haven't had anything yet. But people are like, are you ready? Are you worried? And I'm like, no! I'm happy! Because finally it means that we've said something and we've stood up enough for something that people are mad. Usually, people are just, we're just appeasing people. Playing the political game. God forbid that we step out like St. Paul and actually take a stance. God forbid. That's why there's no conversion. That's why people are leaving the church. We have no bold proclamation of the gospel. I'm just glad we're finally awake. Paul would have no problem calling any one of us out. 
None. I don't know if you know him and Peter. You know, that we celebrate the Feast of Peter and Paul. But I think Peter and Paul did not get along at all. If you read the scripture, every time Peter encounters Paul, he's basically like, oh, crap. He's back, you know? Because <laughs> Paul was not afraid to call you out. And he didn't do it because he was looking for fights. He didn't do it because he was a jerk. He did it because the stakes were too high. He wanted nobody to go to hell. And he believed that you could go there. And so if you weren't living the gospel, he would call you to more. And people hate that. We are called to call people out of this mess, this life, into a life of love. That we're not looking for a fight, we're looking for conversion. To pull them out of the darkness of the world into this new life that they never knew existed. I had this image that came to me when I was praying over the readings. When I was at St. Mary's High School, I had my own office and I had this fish tank and I had this big fish. Have you ever heard it's called an Oscar? And Oscars are great because they eat other fish. And so every week we would have this like, you know, little ritual with my students where we'd feed them all these fish and he'd just gobble them all up and it was awesome. And then I left for Christmas break and I'm like, well, I'm going to be gone a long time. So I just put a bunch of fish in there and a bunch of extra food. And I was like, he'll make it. You know, and then like two weeks later or whatever, I came back and I like unlocked my office door and I opened it and I almost vomit. It smelled so bad. And I looked at the fish tank and it's just like this cesspool. It's so gross. Like film on top and algae and it's... You couldn't, and I'm like, he's got to be dead. You know, that's the smell. And I'm like looking, and you can't, it's just clouded water. And I'm like tapping. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this like eyeball, you know, <laughs> comes up. I'm like, he's alive. So I immediately get up, you know, I set up another little tank, and I put water, and I get it all set, fresh water. And I go to get him in them, and I try to get him with the little net. And guess what? He swam away. I'm like, what that? I'm yelling. I'm like, hey, you idiot. You're going to die. And I'm, you know, <laughs> splashing this, this putrid stuff all over the place. And finally I get him and I pull him out and I'm like, what are you thinking? And then I'm like, he's a fish. So he's probably not thinking, but I'm like, I'm trying to save you. And I get him out of the water and he's flipping and freaking and, and I dump him into the other water. And I'm not kidding you. This fish just like stopped. And it just stood there. I don't know what goes on in fish brains because there's not a lot up there, but I'm guessing it was something like, wow, this is kind of nice. I can see again. I can breathe again. That's what our world is like. People are living in a cesspool of muck, and it has happened so slowly that they think it's normal. And we're called to go and pull them out of that into this new life where they can breathe again, where they can see again. And they don't want it because they don't know it. And they will fight you. But we are still called to go. Father John Ricardo said this great line. He said, those who have been rescued Rescue. I love that line. Those who have been rescued, rescue. 
Our call is the same as Paul's. And Jesus is with us just as much as he was with St. Paul 2,000 years ago. And you might run into roadblocks all the time. You might be pushing against a mountain. But you know what? It might be a mountain, but I'm going to push. And it might run me over. But at least I'm fighting for something true, good, and beautiful in this life. I'm not just going along with everybody. It might run me over. But I'm going down fighting. And I'm doing it because I love humanity. And there's still some good worth fighting for in this world. And so I call all of you today to boldly proclaim the gospel. And the more you do it, and do it in love, the more you do it, the more confident you will become. Just like St. Paul. And you will realize that because you have been rescued, you must rescue.